I have been reading from the LSB, but I've gone back to the ESV because not many people had the translation. The purpose was only because of that Lord, the Lord uh, is, is the name of God, Yahweh. I just find, find it helpful for us to be able to think through that. Uh, but the ESV is our translation as a church. It's what we preach from every week. So let's continue there. Uh, we're finishing with this psalm. Uh, I'm going to preach the whole thing. It's pretty dense, so it'll be more passage by, or section by section. And then next week, we start in the book of Acts. Uh, and we're going to be looking at Acts for the whole year, alongside 1 Timothy, uh, and going back between the two. For now, let's read Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war ri- arises against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer, to, offer in his tents sacrifices with shouts of joy, and I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face, and my heart says to you, your face, O Lord, do I seek. Hide me, hide not your face from me, nor turn your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God, my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a path, a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for the false witness has risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I should look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. O Lord God Almighty, how wonderful is your dwelling place. How wonderful it is to inquire of your word. How wonderful and vast is your beauty to gaze upon. 
May our hearts and minds be captured by your excellencies, your infinite nature, your goodness, your steadfast love and compassions. May you be all satisfying to us, Lord. And may as we wait upon you, we be strong and courageous. And Lord, would you meet us in every one of our needs and every area of our lacking. Pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. In 306 AD, Augustine of Hippo, at 32 years of age, after decades of drinking down every earthly joy and pleasure, he was left hungry. Years later, he wrote, My real need for you, my God, who are the food of my soul, I was not aware of this hunger. He was well-educated, brilliant, popular, yet lustful, and starving. Starving like Solomon was in his conclusion at the, in Ecclesiastes 2, 9-11, which says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Every joy, every pleasure outside of God is a striving after the wind. You'll chase a job, you'll chase a marriage, you'll chase sex, you chase all sorts of things, and without God, they are empty and going to leave you in a greater hunger than before. Augustine, in his Confessions, writes, You have made us for yourself, O Lord. Our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. As I come to read Psalm 27, my mind was drawn back to Augustine's Confessions. If you have not read it, it is a wonderful, about 300-page book, and it's his autobiography, but he writes it to God. It's a 300-page prayer, and he ponders his mother, he ponders his conversion, he ponders his education, but he ponders it to God, and he comes to a place where he realizes in his 30s that Without God, you can't enjoy life as you, as you should. That everything flows from God. And yes, creation is to be enjoyed. Work is to be enjoyed. Marriage is to be enjoyed. Children are to be enjoyed. Friendships are to be enjoyed. But without God, without God, they are empty. Without God, they will leave you wanting more. They will not satisfy you completely. You see, Augustine found the secrets to overcome sin. And that is to see and taste of the infinite beauties and excellencies of the triune God. So the question that I put before you is, do you believe that God has infinite beauties 
and excellencies for you to satisfy whatever craving it is that you have in life. Augustine writes this, how sweet all at once it was for me to rid of those, how sweet all it was, let me start again, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I once feared to lose. You drove them from me, you who are true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and you took their place, you who are sweeter than all pleasure. This is Augustinian theology. That our joy and pleasure in this world that comes from sinful nature is driven out by God and replaced by God. God becomes our joy. God becomes our pleasure. And David ends his psalm, Psalm 27, with wait for the Lord, be strong, let your, cur- let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord to satisfy you. Wait for the Lord to fill you with all what you are lacking. All your deficiencies are found in God. Only when we know the sweetness of the Lord, His light, His strength, His never-ending compassion and loving kindness, only when we believe that in Him is everything and our entire happiness is in Him will we find... Godly contentment. Only when we believe this to be true. It comes down to knowing God. Who is He? What is He like? What has He done? What is He doing now? The psalm over the last month as we've been looking from Psalm 24 to Psalm 27, we have been enriched with doctrine of God. Filled with understanding that He is compassionate and merciful. His steadfast love goes with us all the way. And now we are left with, do we believe it? Psalm 27 is is going to invite us to have a sovereign confidence in God. A sovereign joy in God. And an attitude of living before the face of God. Which was a mantra of the Reformation. Let's work through this section by section, thinking first of a sovereign confidence in the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is the truth that David holds to, which fuels his confidence when enemies assail him. Before you knew God, you lived in darkness. Colossians tells us this. You were in the dominion of darkness. Those who don't know God through Christ live in darkness. When Jesus started his ministry in Luke 4, uh, Matthew 4, he went to a people living in great darkness. This is the reality of our theology. You either have God and have light, or you don't have God and have darkness. Darkness being you aren't aware of your sinful flesh. Darkness being you aren't aware of the beauties and excellencies of God. Darkness being that you don't know that God can satisfy you when you are lacking. Later, David is going to say, my parents have forsaken me. My mother and father have forsaken me. But you, God, have taken me in. David's confidence is that whatever it is he's lacking in this life, he gains in Christ. Even if I'm an orphan, an orphan, I have 
the Lord. This is a, in, genuinely offensive to our world. To say, that, to say that we can't wallow in our victimhood. The confidence that David has is that his light is God. And his salvation is in God. So therefore, he has a holy confidence, a sovereign confidence that says, I need not fear anything. Solomon, who, who worked from God-given wisdom, if you don't know the story of Solomon, you read Solomon in two kings and you read Ecclesiastes together and you start to see all, the, all that wisdom achieved for Solomon Yet Solomon, at the end of his life, says vanity upon vanities, it's a chasing after the wind. Why? Because he lost the fear of the Lord. He built gardens that became forests. He threw parties that would put to shame any party we see today. There's descriptions of 10,000 cows being killed in order to feed the masses at the party. He had relationships from every nation, Every fantasy that he thought of, he had. He saw, we, we heard that in Ecclesiastes. And he realized it is vanity. Vanity upon vanity. Because he lost the light that gives all things their meaning. He lost God who illuminates the understanding of where sex is good and where a feast is good. And where fasting is good, God reveals that to us. They're not just good on their own. You can have too much fasting and too much feasting and too much uh, sex outside of marriage. Yet in their right place, they are good. And God shines the light on that to reveal how they are to be used in goodness and how they are to be used for the glory of His name. You see, gardens are more beautiful when they draw you to the infinite beauty of God. Gardens are more beautiful when they draw you to the infinite beauty of God. Work is more satisfying when you see the eternal purpose of every nappy change, every dish washed, every patient seen, every student teached, taught, and every house built. It's more satisfying when you know that it's a part of an eternal purpose. Light. You have the light switched on. You now know what you're doing. You can see where you're going. The question David asks himself is, if God is light and he reveals the full goodness of all things and God is the one who is responsible for his salvation, who should I fear? If God gives me light, and God is responsible for my salvation, I need not fear anyone. I need not fear anyone, for everything I have is bound up in this one sovereignly good being. This requires meditation and counsel to our own selves. We fear what we think upon. If our meditations are upon what someone else can do to us, we will become to fear it. If our meditations are on what someone can take from us, we will become, we'll start to fear that. But David thinks upon where his light came from and where salvation came from and what is the stronghold of his life. If the stronghold of your life cannot be moved, then you need not fear. 
But if the stronghold of your life is your relationships, your work, your status, your wealth, then you better fear because it's going to come crumbling down. And I can tell you, if you're a Christian and one of God's saints, he will discipline you and take it from you for your own good. If the stronghold of your life is God, you fear nothing. And then you can go into verse 2 and 3 and say, whether evildoers assail me, even to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they're the ones who stumble. They fall. When they come and attack me, because my stronghold is God, my light is God, my salvation is God, they can't take anything from me, so they fall. So even if a army encamps against me, even if war arises against me, yet I will have confidence. Christian, this is what you can have. You can have this sort of confidence when enemies assail you and war rises against you if your meditations are on God and you're firmly fixed in your theology that God is your light, your salvation and your stronghold of your life. Your stronghold of your life is either God or a created thing. And if it's a created thing, it will fall. What we need to remember in our sovereign confidence in the Lord, a confidence that rules over all our fears, is that church, you can't lose. They thought they won when Christ died. And yet he rose from the grave. Micah says this, Micah 7, 8, Rejoice over me, uh, rejoice not over me, O my enemies. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. In death, we win. In sickness, we're refined and we win. In sin, we still win because Christ has died for that sin and we confess it and move past it. Christian, you cannot lose. You have a sovereign confidence that has authority over all your fears and rules over all other things. If, the, if God is the stronghold of your life, even if an army were at our door right now, we don't need to fear. I invite you to believe it. I invite you to go into your life thinking that. Having a sovereign confidence. Every job you take, every decision you make in your household, we don't fail, but we grow in holiness and we grow to be more like God. The second point is a sovereign joy, which is the term Augustine came up with in his confessions. With these truths, of who God is and what God has brought us, God then petitions God. He petitions God. He, he prays to Him. And He asks for something. One thing that I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gaze upon his be the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. How many people have that highlighted? Circled? underlined and how many people pray we know that this is not the only thing David asks of the Lord David asks at time for protection David asks at times for, for, for freedom from 
his enemies. Uh, he, he needs deliverance. We've seen this through his other prayers that we've looked at in the Psalms. But what, but what is most important to him? What is most important to him is a greater knowledge and closeness of God. One thing I ask of the Lord in the midst of my enemies. The one thing he wants to continually pray for is more of God. And notice it's not just idle talk, idle prayer. One thing I ask and I will seek after. One thing I ask and I will seek after. Our prayer should always be attached to doing. In our asking, we go to seeking. And holy petition puts on holy work. Holy petition puts us to holy work. If our request is to dwell in the house of the, God, uh, house of the Lord, we seek this in the church. Where's God's dwelling place here on earth? He's saints. In us, we seek this in the gathering of his saints. If our request is to gaze upon his beauty, we go forth and seek creation. And everything we see from the grubbiest little grub to the most beautiful sunset, you delight in because God created it. You think upon the nature of our God through the things that he has created. The consistency of God in the rising and setting of the sun the brightness and power of God because of how powerful the sun is. If you want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and ask to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord all the days of your life, then go to work and do it. If you want to inquire in His temple, listen to His Word. Listen to His Word. It's one thing to highlight, circle, underline this passage. It's another thing to ask it and seek for it. If we want God to be our strong tower, the stronghold of our life, our light and our salvation, we pray and seek for it in all things. The one thing that David asks for is the answer to overcoming the flesh. In order to overcome the flesh, you need something to replace the desire of the flesh. And the desire of the flesh needs to be replaced with God. If you find in yourself dissatisfaction, it starts with your view of God. In every dissatisfaction and sin, you are saying to yourself that God doesn't have what you need. Your theology in that moment is that God is not infinitely satisfying or infinitely good. Because you're looking elsewhere to be satisfied. Whether it's through your rage, whether it's through your control, whether it's through your lust, whether it's through your uh, covetousness, in that moment, you don't believe that God is infinite and good. So we turn to God and we ask and we seek we seek for it through His people. We seek for it through creation. And of course, we seek for it in His Word. We want to dwell in His house, gaze upon His beauty, and inquire in His temple. Augustine's understanding of grace was 
So saving grace then, sanctifying grace, converting grace, grace is God giving us sovereign joy in God that triumphs over, joy, over, over all other joys. God giving us sovereign joy in God that triumphs over other joys. God is delightful. God is all-satisfying. Whatever it is you're craving, whatever it is you need, God has it. Ransack His Scriptures. Ponder the stories of God. Ponder His work. And you will be meted with an all-satisfying Lord. And David goes on to describe this. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He'll conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Everything David needs is in the Lord. A shelter in the day of trouble, a covering at night. Solid ground when he needs solid ground. If you need shelter in God, you find it. If it's solid ground you need, it's there too. All is found in the triune God. If you have been trapped in the hissing cauldron of lust like Augustine is or was, there is refuge and greater joy. You may be trapped in loneliness, yet in God there is a friend closer than a brother. A sovereign God is plotting in you every deficiency in order that you find lasting joy in Him for His glory. A sovereign God is plotting in you every deficiency deliberately so that you find lasting joy in Him. As you become aware of that deficiency, you say, one thing I ask of you, Lord, that I will seek after, to dwell in your temple, to gaze upon your beauty, to inquire of you. The first question that we said on the first week of January in the Shorter Catechism, uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism was, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him together forever. We get the first part, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And John Piper, said, John Piper says, maybe we should change one word of that to by enjoying Him forever. We glorify God by enjoying Him, by being satisfied in Him. Probably the most quoted, famous quote of John Piper's is uh, that, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified. You know, how often do we say, well, what, God, I want to glorify you. How do I glorify you? By enjoying Him. By being satisfied by Him. By having your entire happiness in Him. Whatever reformer you read, Puritan, from Luther to Calvin uh, to Edwards, they will all talk about this. They will all talk about it. That in Christ, our, in, our, our way we glorify Him is by being satisfied in Him. Christian, if you are empty, apathetic, stuck in sin, always sorrowful, simply do something about it. Stop wallowing on your bed. 
and find the delight in God's Word. Pray and seek for it. The one thing you ask of the Lord is Himself. That you may gain victory over sin that Christ has accomplished in His death and resurrection. Like David, we, we are to ask and seek and we will find. That is the promise that Christ gives us. Verse 6, And now my head shall be lifted up above the enemies all around me. I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy and I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Though the enemies encamp, though I am accused of sin, though I am slandered, though I have been diagnosed with cancer, though my parents have betrayed me, though my friends have left me, though I am unsatisfied with my life, I will shout with joy in God's dwelling place. I will sing and make melodies to the Lord. Is that our disposition on a Sunday? When we enter into the gathering of the saints? And not only a Sunday, but every day we wake up and the aches of our body remind us of how unsatisfied we are with life. Do we say, but the Lord... He's lifted up my head above my enemies, above my sicknesses, above my ailments. And I will bring sacrifices with shouts of joy and sing and make melody to the Lord. God answers David's prayer with meeting him with lasting joy in himself. A joy that triumphs over other joys in this life. A joy that triumphs over sickness. A joy that triumphs over death. This is the God we believe in. And David goes on to speak of his devotion to God. He is devoted because he knows that God is all-satisfying, full of joy. He's devoted to living before the face of God. This was a Reformation or a Puritan mantra, Coram Deo, to live before the throne of God or to live before the face of God. And in earnest prayer, calling aloud to God, he cries out, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, so this is what God says to us, seek my face. Why does he say that? Because in God you have all you need. Seek my face. And David says, My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. God, uh, David has a, a holy discontent. We are called to be content in all areas of life. Yet there is a holy discontent with our closeness to the Lord. He is desperate for more of God. He wants the greater reality of life, the greater reality that life is lived before the face of God. He wants to feel it in his bones. That he lives in everything he does before the throne of God. God sees it all and knows it all. And he wants that to be a reality in his life. We hear the earnestness of his prayer, the pain of his prayer. Augustine has a similar pain in his prayer, in his reflections of coming to faith. He says, 
I was beside myself with madness that would bring me sanity. I was dying a death that would bring me life. I was frantic, overcome by violent anger with myself for not accepting your will and entering into your covenant. I tore my hair. I hemmed my forehead with my fists. I locked my fingers and hugged my knees. The desperation of a Christian to taste the Lord and see that He is good. We have to pray with earnest fervor because we know God's character. Even if the worst were to happen, God will take us in and satisfy our emptiness. Verse 10, I've already mentioned it. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. David's speaking in hyperbole. We don't know when his parents died. But he's an orphan. He's lost the closest companions in his life. Yet he knows that there is satisfaction in God. You see, I think it's sad with our modern victim culture that if you're a victim of bad parents, a victim of trauma, a victim of illness, even in the Christian world, you now have an excuse to not be satisfied in God. The Scriptures leave no room for you to be a victim of anything. You have to take responsibility and come to the Lord and say, one thing I ask and one thing I seek is to know you to dwell in your house, to gaze upon your beauty, and to inquire in your temple. You have no room to wallow in your victimhood. Not according to the Word of God. Lose your parents, lose your child, lose your spouse, never get married, never have children. The Lord will take you in. The Lord will take you in. And He'll teach you His way. And lead you on level paths. Even before your enemies. He won't give you up to your adversaries. Even when they give false witness against you. Even when they breathe out violence. And you can declare along with David, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Where will we see the, the goodness of the Lord? Here. The land of the living. We love to spiritualize the Scriptures and think that everything good is coming in heaven. God has given us His goodness today, tomorrow, and every day of our life. In Psalm 23, it says, Surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. We meet goodness here today. We aren't just waiting for heaven. We are enjoying the Lord today. As long as it is called today, we hold to our original confession and we enjoy the Lord. The first thing we should know is that the Lord is good. 
You taste it in your sin, in your hurt, and in every deficiency that you find in yourself. But where will you look for it? Or but, 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 will, but, will, sorry, but will you look upon it? Will you look upon the goodness of the Lord? Or will you look upon your victimhood? Will you look upon how incapable you are? Or will you look upon the, the sufficiency of Christ? Will you look upon your inability to live holy? Or will you look upon Christ's righteousness? Will you look upon your weakness that is deliberately put in you to perfect you? Or will you look upon the strength of God? David says in his closing, Wait for the Lord. I know it's hard. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He will satisfy you. He will give you joy. It may be in ways you don't expect it. But we are to wait upon the Lord. Wait in a hard holding plank. Not in the relaxation of a hammock. We wait upon the Lord in earnest pleading. One thing I ask of you is to gaze upon your beauty. Christian, take heart. Take heart that today, in all your deficiencies, God is all satisfying. And tomorrow, there is more of God to enjoy. And in 10 years' time, there's still more of God to enjoy. And then when 10,000 years pass, you still haven't even touched the surface of the infinitely good and all-satisfying God. So let it be that we find a sovereign joy in God that triumphs over all other joys. Let's pray. Good Father, it's, it's humbling to stand here knowing that in myself there are deficiencies that I feel unsatisfied in. And there are areas, Lord, where I myself doubt whether your goodness is enough. But rid me of that and rid my brothers and sisters of it. That we may know that your goodness follows us all the days of our life. That we may know that you are of infinite value. The greatest treasure. The most wonderful pearl. May we wait on you, Lord. And in our waiting, strengthen and make our heart courageous 
And let us continue to wait until we are satisfied completely by you. In Jesus' name, amen.